I got a question. Is that is that custom made? Like, no, no, you can go buy one of these right now. Well, it's not yellow, so I was just curious. I, I have a couple um, pieces I want made that I can't find, like my horizontal grinder. I wanted a replica of it, but I can't can't find it anywhere. So yeah, I noticed that was gray, so I didn't know if someone made that. No, uh, no, they sell they sell this this color. Um, there's guys that will make that stuff for you. You just got to pay for it, mm-hmm. but they can make any model. I didn't, and I didn't know that until we went to the Eberhard yep. museum and thousands of these things. And we were with two guys that are experts in models, Shayners, and they were explaining all, like, they're like, yeah, this model you can't buy, 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 that model, probably $40,000. I'm like, what in the hell? Well, I'll tell you right now, I'm not spending four. Forty thousand dollars. No, but if someone wants to uh, build me a horizontal grinder, that'd be awesome. I'm, no, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure that exists, and it'll be like you know, a grand or something like that. It's not crazy, but even then, I don't have that kind of money to spend on a model right now. Yeah, I don't either. Some guy, I was trying to find a sixty fifteen. He's like, "Oh, I have a new one in the box." I'm like, "How much is it?" Because I think they sold for three hundred dollars when they were new a uh-huh. few years ago. Uh-huh. He's like, "Oh, it'll be twelve hundred dollars." I'm like, <laughs> uh, well, I think I'm the good, man. <laughs> Lego um, D11 sets like three or four hundred. So, yeah. Well, yeah. But that's 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 a good that's a good. I think that's good value. But these models, I feel like they appreciate better than any stock in the entire S and P five hundred. So, if you want to make a good investment, I would invest in whatever latest models are coming out because in three years from now they'll be worth four times as much for no reason. I don't know why. But as I was, I was explaining, so we sit down with Randy, Dan, and I, and mm-hmm. we say, um, hey, we think we need, we need to go, we need capital somehow. And we know we can't get it from traditional means. So we're going to have to potentially go borrow or get an investor or something like that. We don't even know what that looks like. I'm totally ignorant to all of this. We sit down, Randy, kind of, but, but kind of outline, hey, there's this, there's this big opportunity in front of us, and we think we can go capitalize upon it, but not without money. And so Randy says, well, what if I, what if I loan you the money? Because he had just recently liquidated his business. He had the capital. And Dan and I walk out of that meeting like, well, that was unexpected because we, we weren't going to Randy to ask for money. We were going, we right. just wanted his advice. And, and we, we get his, uh, uh, we, we, get, we get his money in the door. We get a few million and we structure it as a loan. So we're going to pay him back. So it's a, it's a note. We get a note drafted up. I still have 100% of the company at this point. We go develop, build with leaders, go get into this training space. Build with leaders. It wasn't a failure, but it was definitely a miss. It, that's what the industry needs. The industry needs a lot of training and development from a leadership standpoint. But it's not, uh, it's not what companies are going to pay for right now. They want safety and how can I make my entry-level guy into an operator tomorrow kind of, right. <laughs> kind of mentality? So we said, okay, let's go get more. We're, we're close to the mark here. So we need to go all in on training and development. Let's make it simpler, more basic to start. Let's also put our leadership training and development on the platform as well. And then we evaluated existing platforms and we're like, hmm. We might have to go build our own platform because there's nothing that off the shelf really fits this industry. And that's the point. 
and, and that's why I think technology has struggled in the dirt world is because they don't speak the language. So you can have amazing software, ama- an amazing company. But yeah. if, you don't, if you don't speak the language, you're done. You're done. Um, and so we go to three people, three companies to go raise money. And these are like construction, construction companies, companies two banks. construction companies and one equipment dealer. No, because banks, banks are ruled out. I, I, the biggest line of credit I had was $12,000, which is t- worthless. Like to you and me as individuals, 12 grand, that's, that's good money. I could buy a car with that, but uh, to a business, like, <laughs> that's worthless. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, we meet with one company. It's a no. We meet with the second company. It's a no. We go to the third company and I have, I had a meeting with Jonathan Campbell in, in Vegas. He runs Campbell companies alongside his cousin, Brian, who's a dealer principal of Wheeler Machinery. So they have Wheeler Machinery is kind of the, the crown jewel. And then they have a lot of subsidiary companies that are all fantastic as well. And we sit down with him and, and outline our plan and, and basically just go in with a vision. There's not like, here's all of our numbers because we didn't have a product at this point. And he comes back and says, this is what we can do. And it was just, it was, it was way far, way far off, like so far away. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, oh, this was our third shot. And I don't have any plans after this. Dan and Randy say, it's not even worth meeting. And I'm like, let's just, let's go to Salt Lake City and try to work something out. So we go meet with Jonathan, me, Dan, Randy's on the phone. We end up walking out with a $10 million series seed round. We go take that capital. We go build, build with training, a software product from scratch. And we go at the beginning of last year, before we even had this product, it was, it was underway, but it hadn't even gotten to market yet. We were like, we should go raise more money while we can. We just raised 10. Why don't we go raise 50? It'll be easy. I mean, Come on, how hard can it be? Like 50 million in a half trillion dollar industry? Like I know how much cash these companies have right now, especially these materials companies. And it's just piles of it at yeah. this, uh, uh, coming off the past few years, piles of cash. I know how much money they have. There's acquisitions all over the place. There's cash out there. So it's not crazy to think I could find 50 million, but thinking we could raise 50 million for a software company from the construction industry was... <laughs> It's just completely insane. <laughs> so we go out and try to do this. I get the shit kicked out of me all last year. Raising the second round was substantially harder than the first round, but it's nearly complete. Well, um, so that's to answer your original question. Yeah. Well, was it hard? First round? No. Second round? <laughs> Way harder for the same amount of money. <laughs> well, um, kudos to you for the first round. Um, by turning those rocks, you know, and finding the finding the first round. Because if you hadn't met with that guy, you wouldn't have acquired that ten million. No, no, we wouldn't have a software company. Yeah, like that that capital, and then um, another an, another downside to stumbling across the first ten million was uh, we spent it too fast, which is like rookie mistake number one. And now I don't regret it, but it's like, yep, lesson learned. Let's slow the hell down. <laughs> uh, 
money will go way faster than it comes. Dude, if you have it, 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 it goes. You start to get fooled into thinking that, oh, yeah, we're a big time business. And it wasn't this year. It wasn't the last year. It was the year before where we got the original capital in. And it's like, damn, like we've got millions of dollars in investment. We've got all these people. We're doing all this cool shit. I'm a big time businessman. And then you just get this shit kicked out of you. And so, now it's like, I'm not shit. <laughs> I, am, I am nothing. <laughs> so if you can talk about it, I'm just curious because um, I know the way this company is set up, I know a lot of that capital is probably not going into hard assets. Almost none so, of So it's probably extremely hard to raise capital if it's not going into asset. Or am I wrong? It's hard to raise capital from an industry that only invests in assets. Yeah. <laughs> so contractors. Well, that's what, that was the, my first my, uh, first thing my mind went to. I was like, well, you're not buying any equipment. Yeah. You know, not not saying that would no. be a good thing in, uh, to invest in. It's just like, that's where my mind goes. I was like, what assets would I be putting my money in? Physical it, exactly. assets. Yeah. And it's, yeah. It's, it's, there are no assets. It's human capital, which I believe is by far the best investment which I believe you can create the most value from, but it's not what the construction industry is comfortable with. So I'm glad we've raised from the industry. I'm so, I'm so relieved we've raised our first two rounds from the industry because you're going to give up the most control in the first two rounds. And I, we've given up that control to control to people that understand the problem we're facing that care about the problem we're facing and that care about what we're doing, care about the industry we're serving. If it were VCs in the first few rounds, they don't care. Mm -hmm. They don't, their first objective is to create a return on investment. Now I want to create a return on investment for everybody that's investing in our company. Of course, of course, but you also get a little grace along with that, which I think is necessary to actually innovate and create something substantial. So yeah, it's, it's all been human capital, but the cool thing about software is construction company, you're selling for like five times EBITDA and a lot of construction companies are not all that profitable. So, and a lot of construction companies aren't even built to sell. They're, they're positioned around one individual, most hub and spoke. Uh, yeah. Most, um, construction companies are sold based on their, um, their asset. Yeah, just about what's the yeah. balance sheet worth? And then what's your backlog? You can sell the backlog and then labor force. Yeah. That's the value of a construction company. Yeah. But software, since it's re recurring, it's way, potentially way more valuable, way more valuable. Why? I can't explain it, but that's just how the market works. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and it, I, well, I can kind of explain it. You know, you, if you want to go double your customer base, for example. You're going to have to go buy, you know, say you're running one grinder and X amount of machines to serve that grinder. Yeah. I want to go double. Well, now you need to go buy another grinder, the more machines, hire all of those people. Yep. Our training platform, another customer comes on. The video's already created. The platform's already created. Exactly. I copy it. I paste it. We're dealing in bits, the virtual world. So there isn't all this physical infrastructure I need to go create to go service that other customer. Now, I do need to add headcount. I do need to add server space and as we grow, but it's not even close to what you have to do as a physical business. Way, way more work. Yeah, it's, it's just different. It's yeah. different. So 
it's not it's not that anyone's like a lot of days I wish I was a contractor. And then the days I look out the window and it's pouring and it's a mud hole next door, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not a contractor. Well, the only reason why I'm a contractor is because it, it was what I knew to do. Mm-hmm. So I know there are way um, smarter things to invest your time in, uh, but I do really enjoy the industry um, and I enjoy business. But, yeah, but- it is an extremely hard uh, field to be in. See this, like, but I think the smartest thing to invest your time in is, like, into you love. yeah, into like becoming who you can be. Yeah, and some paths are more lucrative than others, but that's first and foremost. And if you focus on that, it's like the money will come eventually. Yeah, no matter what path you go down, in theory, unless you choose not to, you know, donate all the money like Mother Teresa, but she still made a ton of money. So yeah, I think the smart the smart route is to just get off your ass and get on the path, whatever that is for you, which yeah. you've done. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just, just murdering trees. It, it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how I got into that. It was just, honestly, I just, um, I knew how to do it. I grew up on a farm. Um, I knew I didn't physically want to do it, but it, um, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn this into a business. Yeah. So, um, and scale it. So we last spoke at my kitchen table when we were doing the podcast uh, at my house when yep. I first moved to Nashville. The office didn't exist yet. Yep. Um, so that was nearly two years ago now. Yep. What? How old are you when you started? I was 20. You're 20. So you got started pretty early. How old are you now? 27. Uh, we're same age. Yeah. Okay. So you've been going for seven years. Yeah. So people will look at you like, what do you know? But you've been around it for a while. And you grew up it before that, around yeah. it before that. Yeah. Um, so I didn't operate an excavator until I was 19. Really? Yeah. Mm. Um, I mowed yards. I um, worked in tobacco patches. Nice. You know, I, I knew how to drive um, a tractor or whatever. It just kind of, it was just natural. But I had an interest in doing things and not, you know, being limited, I guess. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to find me a niche in these um, higher populated areas mm-hmm. and bring a, bring a service. Yeah. And it just so happened to be that um, all these um, grading contractors and developers were needing someone reliable to clear their property because there's a... Um. Uh, there's a whole new market in um, metropolitan areas where you have to process the wood in different ways. You can't just knock it over and burn it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, even though we still perform some of that, um, it was just it was just a niche, and I um, I just saw opportunity and I seized it. So, well, there's uh, like if you become a grading contractor in Middle Tennessee. There's a lot of grading contractors in Middle Tennessee at all levels, Yeah, at all levels. And the competition is fiercest at the bottom. You have more people at the bottom than you do at the top because of scale. Um, but for whatever reason, the grading contractors don't like to touch clearing. Well, you can, you can lose a lot of money quick if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You're speaking to a, a veteran there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you speaking from experience? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, why is that? So, okay, uh, I'll I'll put it this way. In our area, almost everyone knows um, out east, east coast, down in the Carolinas, Georgia. Um, those guys really know how to do our scope of work. So, yeah. Well, and let's explain the geography. So we have we're in Middle Tennessee, yes. which is just a a rock pile. Yes. And then you peel off going east and hit the Smokies. Yep. Which is a Obviously, a big mountain range, the Appalachian mountain range, all the way up the coast. And then you go over that, and now you're into the, you get into kind of the low country, into little North Carolina, especially South Carolina, Carolina, Georgia, some of Florida, Mississippi. And that is all pine and is the cheapest wood in the world. Yes. So everything is about logging in that area. Yes. But up here, we don't have the climate for that. So, um, I'm not sure on the climate. I just know that it hasn't been um, maintained very well mm. um, o- over time. Um, so, clearing methods in central Tennessee are completely different than somewhere in South Georgia or South Carolina. Um, and... um. Being is how I started, I founded this company in Nashville. Um, we had to learn ourselves. No one was experienced in the field so um, on how to perform the scope properly. So we, for a couple of years, just tested stuff out. And thankfully, we had a system set in place to where we tracked every task that we were doing. We knew how many um, um, man hours were in a certain task, equipment hours, certain quantities of certain things. Mm-hmm. And um, we implemented that early on. Um, and it was basically just stored on a cloud. So we could analyze how all those projects went, whether I made um, a 80% profit margin or minus 80 mm-hmm. you, you know so uh which that's not an exaggeration sure. so that trial phase almost broke me but we have so much useful information that like we can set up a job now know what we're facing in this area and just knock it out of the park how did no one really have experience on it because it, it, kind of the regulations were changing. Well, so the city f- was growing into new areas. Well, so so first of all, um, there's no logging industry um, until you get into far west or far east yeah. Tennessee. Yeah. Um, if you go into West Tennessee, like around Memphis, it's mm-hmm. just like Georgia. It's all like um, pl- pine, pine plants, yeah, plantations, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's all sorts of loggers um, sure. out there. I didn't know around Memphis they had logging too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you don't have that labor pool to pull from. You, so we literally had to train everyone Yeah. while we were learning. The interesting thing about logging, too, is as you log land, you manage the forest. Mm-hmm. Like 
that's why California's had a lot of problems because they got rid of most of the logging industry and now their forests are just, they're all unmanaged. Yep. And when they're unmanaged, a lot of growth builds up, a lot of fuel builds up. And then when it goes, it really goes. Whereas in the, in the Southeast, all the forests are really dialed in because that's how they make money is the health of the forest makes them money. So they're incentivized to care for the land. But middle Tennessee without logging, nothing's managed. Right. Like I, I go, I've been hiking, running around in the woods. You're like, this is a mess out here. Yeah. This has, no, this has not been touched in it's a long a, time. It's a bunch of uh, bodoc trees. Yeah. It's just a bunch it's of junk. not worth anything. No. And it tears stuff up. You yeah. know. It, you know. Hmm. So. So it's just trial and error. Trial and error. Um, and thankfully, we had a bunch of people you know, backing us that trusted us and we, we got through it. Um, but it was, it was not, it was not easy. Yeah. The good news is though, if you can get through it, you build a little moat around the business. And then once where you're at, like, like having a grinder, for example, um, if you, if you're an earthwork contractor to have clearing and a grinder, you got to keep that thing busy. To pay for it. That's an expensive. So you need to keep that thing moving all the time, which is unless you're huge, very difficult to do or it's spanning multiple states or whatever it is. And you're just moving it around. But with you, you know, you can go clear. They don't the have the volume to yeah. justify buying the forestry equipment. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But then once you get into the forestry equipment, forestry equipment's unique. It's like I can't go to United Rentals. No. And say, hey, United, could I have a grinder dropped off my job site this afternoon? Doesn't work that way. Yeah. But most other equipment you can go rent nowadays. The stuff you deal in, you can't just go find it. Yeah. Um, you can find grinders every once in a while, but like what they'll the what they'll make you do is um typically they're between depending on what size you get, they're between forty and sixty thousand a month. Damn. So and you have to put the money up front. Oh, so you literally pay them and then they drop it off on your site. Whoa. Damn, yeah. That's not cheap. Yeah. Well, no. cause they're, they're notoriously, they just tear themselves apart. Yeah, they do. They, they just pretty much destroy themselves. Yeah. And they're astronomically expensive. Um, like on our machine, we had to replace, um, a couple months ago, we had to replace a, um, in feed chain. Um, that's basically the conveyor belt going into the mill. Mm-hmm. Lasts maybe twenty five hundred hours, three thousand hours, something like that, and it was sixty grand. Damn, sixty grand. Yeah. Holy smoke! You tear up a mill, it's eighty. Woof! Wow. So you have to be pretty careful. Yeah, you have to be extremely. Yeah, you have to be extremely careful. You got to make sure things are tight, nothing's loose. Um. Yeah. I mean, there, there's all sorts of things that can, that can go wrong. It is truly a science. Um, I have, um, I have a guy, um, that's our um, mechanic. His name's Lynn. Mm -hmm. He's, he, uh, he stays with the machine. It does not run unless if he's sitting right Mm -hmm. there. (laughs) So, uh, like he comes with the machine. Wow. So he doesn't, he doesn't hardly leave its side. He might go somewhere if it's not running. Mm-hmm. but he just he'll just sit there in a truck and as soon as something happens he's out there working on it yeah 
because um, you're down a day or two, which is not unheard of with a grinder. Um, I mean, that's a lot of revenue lost. Well, and that's and that's kind of the choke point of the operation. Yeah, that machine. Yeah, it's like a it's like a crusher too. But I see I see contractors that run crushers really well, and I see contractors that don't run crushers well. So crushers are about the same price. The only thing, the only difference between a grinder and a crusher is the grinder is high velocity. Mm. the crusher's low velocity. Mm. So when something goes wrong, like the grinder will literally implode. So like um, the the mill in it, my guys might get on to me here. I'm not sure how much the mill weighs, but I think it's between three and 4,000 pounds. It might yeah. be 5,000 pounds. I can't remember, but it spins at roughly 2,000 RPM, I think. Yeah, guys, you can correct me on that. But... Um, um, I mean, you lose a tooth or you send something through it. I mean, well, that's the other tricky thing compared to that, uh, with a crusher, a crusher, uh, the, the material you're feeding in is typically pretty consistent. You're getting it out of a, a hole somewhere. That's just rock typically. Yeah. What you're dealing in, you don't entirely know, like the, the material you're feeding into that can vary. Or something could be in there that you're not catching. Or yes, you can throw stuff in there that's not supposed to go in there. Yes, a exactly. lot more easily than a crusher. So, so, um, and uh, um, site work contractors out there, um, typically it's cheaper for us to come in and clear for you versus us coming and grinding your piles. Um, uh, uh, yeah. So sometimes we have to do that, though, because they've already cleared it and then all the trees are sitting out there um, and, and just have, kind of a mess. Exactly. And we have to shear it up. We have to sort through mm. it. We have to, you know, face it all in one direction. It's just a long process. If you don't if you don't on our typical clearing process, um, we self-perform logging. So um, that's another difference since last time we talked. Um, yeah, we self-perform logging now. If you log a site and then you come in and um, clear and grind, grub it and grind it, mm -hmm. you're going to spend half the time grinding versus just grinding everything. So literally you're doubling your grind time and material you have to haul off or hide on site mm. um, if you don't have us just clear it from the beginning. How often does that happen where contractors will just do it themselves? Well, it's been happening for, it, it happened more often, um, like a few years ago in Nashville specifically, but now people are knowing to, you know, just have us, you know, bid it from the beginning mm. and, you know, we can probably save you something. But uh, real quick, one time we went to a site and we were grinding some piles that the uh, contractor had already cleared. And there was some bit off of a drilling machine. I'm not sure what it's called, but it's on, it's on a drilling machine for blasting. Mm -hmm. It was some like big like pin that was about this, this long. Woof. And we sent it through that grinder. And it, um, it tore up both mill bearings um on the exterior part of the um 
mill. Yeah. So, um, you know, you just got to watch stuff like that. There are safety precautions you can take, but sometimes you're just not going to catch something. Yeah. But we, we run, um, uh, shears to where you're going to shear up all that material and find any contaminants or anything. Um, we used to not do that, but now we are doing that on everything. Cause it's just, it's better to do that. It, yeah. It's a, it's a safety precaution more than anything. So that's fascinating. So it's a, it'll be a shear on an excavator. Yeah. It'll just cut the trees up essentially. Yeah. Like giant scissors. Yes. Um, uh, now if it's, um, if it's tree tops, you don't have to worry about that. And lots of times you're not having to use that except on like stumps. Um, unless if, if you have like a, just some gnarly tree that you can't market. You just shear it up to where you can mm. fit it all in there um, um, efficiently, and it just reduces vibrations and different things. This um, kind of reminds me when we you go out to the big mines, so they'll have the shovels. Mm-hmm. So uh, typically, like a face shovel, for example. So you'll be you're, you're, it's a hydraulic shovel. You're digging into the face, or a, a rope shovel, whatever it is. They'll have a camera on the front looking down at just the teeth and the ground engaging tools and it's it uses ai and so it'll say oh we're missing a tooth you better stop right now the tooth was just there it's not there anymore and they stop because you throw one of those things through the crusher you're fucked like it is that is a long long if someone uh creates that for a horizontal grinder i'll buy it tomorrow oh but the problem is like in a mine, you somewhat control the variables, but with what you do, you don't, you don't control the variables. Like, yeah. okay, great. You know, you could watch for the teeth or parts on your machines, but that's no guarantee that there's nothing in there. Right. That's, that's the crazy thing. Um, uh, did you have the grinder when we last talked? Yes. You did have yeah. a grinder? Yep. Do you just have one grinder? So, um, we have a larger grinder, um, that. It pretty much keeps up with our workload. We can send it anywhere. Yeah. Um, put, put in perspective, we properly uh, perform a um, clearing site and organize it well. That grinder will process at, um, roughly an acre in an hour and a half to two hours. Oh, damn. So you can so, chew through quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit on Yeah. It. And if you're logging it, then you have less to process. Yes. Because you're pulling out the good stuff. Yes. The logging. Well, so that is that is after a log oh, that's process. After. If you're if you're just you know grinding everything, you'll have six to eight hours an acre. Damn. Really? Yeah. Because you have to fit the big stuff through. Yes. Yes. And that's the advantage of having us clear it versus, you know, just piling it up and then hiring someone to come in and grind it the logging when did you start that we started that um this year in tennessee so in georgia i have several um um or primarily one logging um contractor that will come in and clear cut the whole site for us and um they're phenomenal to work with in tennessee there's no loggers mm-hmm. that you know, somehow we have to get rid of junk material, um, even if it just covers the trucking. Um, so we just started self-performing it. And you said you have a feller buncher running. 
Yes. Just sweet. You have a skitter? Yes. So you pull the trees out, skitter? Yes. And do you, you, you have a loader to put them on a truck? Uh, so we'll sometimes excavator. use excavators for that, but we're actually, we're probably going to have a, a log loader here pretty shortly. That's badass. So, yeah. It makes it a lot easier because you can size stuff. Yeah. And sort. Yeah. As you're going. Yeah. Um, I got a guy, um, that works, uh, for me now. He's a, he's an arborist and I, I don't oh, know. No kidding. Yeah. I don't know anything. I don't know anything about, um, logging. Yeah. And I just kind of like turn him loose and, um, he, um, he and my uh, clearing, grubbing foreman will collaborate and kind of organize the site. And that's that's an art in itself. Yeah, being able to look at a wooded area and identify one what trees are what. Yep, where they should go. Don't ask me. Uh, they all look the same to me. They're all trees. Yep, with just one species. Uh, I maybe I could tell like a a pine from a few others from an oak. Like I can I can make that distinction, but. I didn't grow up around trees. I grew up in the desert and we just had spiky things. We didn't yeah. have trees. To identify what is even worth logging, one, two, to then come up with a plan on how to execute it. Because I've, I've watched these, like a, a, a Fowler Buncher, you're not, you don't just go into a forest and cut everything. You're sorting, you're doing it very deliberately the whole time you're, you're, you're in there. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not just willy-nilly, like, let's just cut all the trees down. Your production um, is determined by how good your buncher operator is. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back from there. Well, yeah, because they're, they're, they're cutting and then they're sorting as they go. They're putting it into piles and then the skitter grabs the piles. But if the pile isn't what it needs to be, exactly. then there's more work at And this is common knowledge to me, but I'm not the expert on on this at all uh, i'm so far from next round logging yeah I, I just i know enough yeah that's i know enough about most things in this world but any deeper than that pff, good like uh, i don't i don't know that's yeah. not how my brain works i don't yeah. i'm not well, a details it's not, guy it's, that's not uh how i am either i'm i'm a big picture guy long-term guy yeah. the last thing you want me in is operations yeah. i will screw so much stuff up I've learned the same thing with my business. The more I get out of day to day, the better our, our business operates. Yep. yep. And it's, it's not by accident. In fact, um, uh, Logan Palmer, he's been working for me for over three years now. He's my project manager and we were having a, a talk the other day and he, he had a, a come to Jesus meeting with me um, because I was giving him like specific tasks that I was needing him to get done. But, um, and I realized through that conversation, I was like, man, I just got it. Like, I need to tell him as a whole what needs to get done and let him figure out the details. And he caught me in, in the act by doing that. I wasn't even realizing I was doing it. So the, the whole construction industry would be better off if that's how things ran. Yeah. Most of the time. But it's. Almost every single job I go to, here's what we're doing today. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. Here's what you're doing. I was just at one, uh, I was just at uh, a job the other day and one of the lead, um, I think it was on a utility crew. Is it a utility crew or a grading crew? I can't remember, but he's like, man, all these, all these young people, you know, they, they don't know what they're doing and, 
you know, driving down this wrong road or whatever, you know, and I'm just like, it's all doom and gloom, you know, it's just, um, I, I don't know. When I walk out on my job site, I'll, obviously, sometimes I'll look at them like, man, I wonder why they're doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But I don't address it like, hey, idiot, you know, why are you doing it this way? <laughs> you know, whenever whenever I'm confused as to why something's happening some way, I always first, why is it? Why are you doing it this way? Out of just genuine curiosity. Yeah. And I'd say four out of five times. There's a very good reason for why they're doing something. The other time, it's like, I've seen a better way to do this, but like, who the fuck am I? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I know I'm, I, I'm pretty confident I know a better way to do this. But four out of five times, it's like, yeah, that that makes perfect sense to me. Like, brilliant. I, I love that. Good yeah. for you guys. And, yeah. and I'm just like, yep, I was wrong. Um, but I'm always curious about it rather than like, why, why are you doing that way? That's stupid. Yeah, which is the approach that most people take on the internet. Well, why would they do it that way? I'm like, dude, you're you're seeing a 15 second video. Like, you're making a lot of assumptions <laughs> using a very small amount of data. Like, do you understand the flaw that that's happening right now? Yeah. And it's everybody. They're just like, I need to criticize because that's not how we do it. It's like, yep. <laughs> yeah, but you've never left Mississippi. So, so how do you know? <laughs> exactly. How do you know it's how it's supposed to be done in North Carolina? <laughs> right. Uh, I've gotten to where I'll show up and like, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll talk to our guys like they're phenomenal at what they do. And I'm, I'm proud of them, but I'm just like, if they ask me a question, I'm just like, just ask Logan. I don't even. Like, if I'm going to comp- completely screw your day up, if I say anything right now, just just talk to him, you know, because um, I'll just um, I'll just like start something, you know, and it's completely different of what they needed to get done. Yeah. So but that's the that's like largely the antidote to the conflict between generations yeah. is humility. Like if, if I'm a younger person leading older, more experienced people, I'm not going to act like I know what I'm doing. Right. I don't need to. I can happily say, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help? How should we do this? How have you done this in the past? Most of the time, something, you'll, you'll have the asshole every once in a while, of course. Most of the time, though, they'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how you do it. <laughs> that sounds great to me. Let's go get a shot, guys. Yep. And then you support them. There you go. Life's good. Yeah, typically, typically, but it's when I'm like, I'm insecure or I don't want to admit I don't know what I'm doing and I try to act like I'm the boss and I have the plan and oh, we're going to do it this way because I know better. Or I have this information that you don't. And obviously you have to explain it in a way that they there are obviously certain things you know that other people probably don't yeah. and those those issues have to be addressed like like saying hey we have to get this done by x mm-hmm. you know and i've gotten to where i'm just like hey figure out how to get that done instead of me saying okay we need to get here you need to do this to get here it's human nature we we like to be in control of ourselves. Yeah. We like our independence. 
And there's a lot of theories on why that is from a human nature standpoint. But if you start to approach it, like just give give people just a little bit of independence. Like don't don't take their ability to make their own decisions away from them, because that's when you create resentment, rebellion, negative stuff happens. When and they won't think outside someone. the box. No, no. They won't and, be creative. And you're, wor- you're worse off. And I feel like a lot of in like any kind of leadership position or management, but it's, it's really apparent in like your line of work, for example, you don't make the company any money. Yeah. You I'm don't overhead. You don't perform a single billable hour of work. Yeah. It, I mean, you might be in a machine every once in a while, maybe. No, I'm not. So you're, you're not, you don't, you don't do a single billable thing for your business. Nope. So it's like you are overhead. Yeah. You are not at all. What is what is the the main point of the business? But it's always the people that aren't actually performing the work saying this is how we're going to do the work. It's like, I, I mean, I, I get it. You're, you're privy to these the meetings and what the permit says and the deadlines and the costs. And I, I get all that. But you're not actually on doing the work. So maybe let's talk to the people doing the work. Exactly. And that's where I've gotten to where it, like. I mean, I've lost. I've lost uh, practice, you know, like the, the, I I look at job sites um, through an Excel sheet now, you know, um, but I've also been on the other side of it, but I've been out of it for probably two and a half years, mm. you know, um, and there's a difference. So I have that respect for these guys like these. I mean, all of our guys just work their butts off and every day for our company and i'm i'm proud of them i'd like to think i haven't lost that sense of um being reasonable yeah. you know because I, I understand what they're doing i understand that it's hard I understand that you know the weather sucks this job sucks or, or whatever mm-hmm. you know I, I i understand how that is um the weather really sucks around here a lot it does it so has the winter been this year worse than any others or is this typically how it is i haven't been here I think enough we've winters just enough. gotten a lot of rain yeah, it, it seems like um, every day but i will say this because of the underground um caves i'm not sure if they're called caves but um passageways the water disappears pretty quickly here um there's not I don't think there's just a whole lot of clay in the ground. So water runoff um is pretty good here. It's typically hilly. Now, grading contractors that only work here um might argue with that, but I, we've worked sure in they would. swamps. Yeah. So you know, um if you're in an area that's got a ton of clay and it's low lying and yeah, it might be beginning of summer before it dries out but here if you have a five-day stretch no matter how much it's um, rained and it's warm um and the wind's blowing you know dries out. yeah well and a lot of a lot of sites too are pretty rocky yeah so that helps yes there's not the, the joke is tennessee topsoil which is just straight rock yeah every single job there's a drill there, every single job there's five drills. It'll yep. be a, a gas station project, and there'll be two drills out there. 
It's yep. like, yeah, they got to get the e- tanks Everything in. between Cookville and Jackson, that's, it's all straight rock. Straight rock. But then you go either side of, of that, straight, just red dirt. Yep. On either side. Yep. Or just up on this little big, big rock. Yep. But you go north of us, you go south of us, you go either direction, east or west, it's all dirt. Yep. It's, it's weird how the geography in the, uh, I don't know, there's a geology. That's yeah, the word. Not geography. Yeah. Geology is laid out. Do you go into Mississippi? Um, so I have spent a lot of time in Mississippi. Um, I've never, we have never performed a job in Mississippi yet. I got to um, introduce you to Nick Burns. He's going to be here for a podcast today too. Okay. He's a grading contractor down in Starkville, Mississippi. Yep. Another young guy. He'd be a good one to just talk with. He's been on the show before, right? Yeah. I think yeah. I listened to it. Yeah. He's yeah, super good dude. Yeah. Another young guy. Maybe worth talking to. Yeah. <clears throat> I've spent some time in Starkville. And Matt Moldenhauer. Yep. With Bellwether logging. Yep. He might be another good one to talk to. Yeah. He's in South Carolina. He's in South Carolina. He's another... He's a numbers guy. Like yep. he's a numbers guy. Yeah. But he's also big picture. He can see. Is it see the forest of the trees, or see the forest beyond the trees, or I'm not <clears throat> see the forest for the trees? I don't think I've. Heard, I don't think I don't heard think that that's before. it either. It's it's something about kind of big picture. You get caught up in the trees, but you want to see the the big picture, the actual forest. Yeah. He's really good at seeing the big picture. He's like a brilliant chess player when it comes to logging and yeah. what he's done in South Carolina in just a few years is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I definitely want to want to talk to him. I'm I'm pretty close down there quite um quite a bit. So yeah, um, yeah. I spent a lot of time in Athens, Georgia. Athens, Georgia. Yeah. Do you do work down there? We do. Um, and uh, my wife is from Athens. Uh. So where do, do you tech, you technically live in Kentucky? Yes. You're like, you're just right up above the border. Yeah. But like, I, like your office is an hour and a half from my house. So yeah, it's, it's not. It's Are not you bad. up towards Bowling Green? Murray, you know where? I don't know. I'm, I'm going to, I don't know Kentucky. Murray state. Okay. We're as far west pretty much as you can get. We're like, we're like right above Jackson, Tennessee. Oh, oh, the last time I saw you was with the tornado deal. Yep. So you're in over Mayfield. You're over closer to that yes. in that direction. Yes. Yeah, in Mayfield. Yes. When was that? That was end of last end of That was December 22? of last year. Uh uh no, 21. I mean, 21, yeah. Yeah, December yeah. of 21. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I went that up That was an adventure. I met you up in Mayfield. It yep. was like you were up there right after it happened. Yeah, I was there at Well, we were both there at like Six thirty, seven in the morning, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of the craziest things I've seen. Yeah. I, I've disaster, anything disaster related is just so. I've seen some pretty bad flooding. I've seen fire, uh, like we went to Paradise and the, saw the fire clean up there, Malibu. That was a wild experience, but that was totally different because a fire. It rolls through a place like paradise. It vaporizes everything. It takes houses and basically just puts them in the atmosphere. There's nothing left. There's fireplaces. There's foundations. There's 
melted washers and dryers, cars, but that's it. But the tornado, that was the first time I'd seen a tornado. First time I'd, again. You'd never seen a tornado. No, kid from Arizona. Arizona, dude, Arizona's a good deal. I had no idea. We didn't have to worry about shit. It's just hot in the summer. Just put up with the hot in the summer. You get six months of beautiful weather. There's no tornadoes. Hot with no humidity. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, yeah. But people, people that say that, it's like, all right, go work in 115 and we can talk after. Because okay. it's like okay. 100 and humid is just miserable. It sucks. Yeah. But when working, because I've, I've worked in both. I've ran in both. I've spent plenty of time in both now. But 115, 120, you, you, it's like you go into fight or flight almost. Your brain is like, this is not safe. Like, like being out here, it's, it's not cool. Like, I, I do not, I do not feel good at all, uh, which is the, it's, but it's like up until that point, it just, it's kind of miserable too. But it's like, once you're past 115, I remember those days vividly because it is a different fucking world. It's just, it's just gnarly. Have you ever, uh, I know you work out a lot. Uh, have you ever sat in a sauna? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Dude, holy crap. I started doing that. Um, about eight months ago it's changed me i don't have access to one consistently i technically could probably find one but i'm not that dedicated i think it's like 190 degrees in ours like that's hot that's hot yeah it's it's pretty crazy like i mean you sit in there six minutes your heart my heart rate's at like 170 that's the crazy thing is yeah your your heart rate goes up because your body you're 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 trying to survive like you're, you're you're you go into this whole different physical state yeah to just tolerate that's the closest i've um uh been to arizona heat i guess yes so well that's that's far more extreme but <laughs> anyway anyway uh no natural desert. but going going up to the scene of the tornado afterwards it took the whole town and just threw it everywhere just took into- like a whole town and just threw it all over the literally place literally straight down through downtown it's gone. A whole downtown. But it's just like, it's just garbage. Yeah. Like that's all it looks. It's just trash and just debris. The whole place. It's like a, just a bulldozer. Just drove right over the town and left everything behind. But anything outside its path was just fine unless if a house fell on it. Yeah. It's so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you could, like going in, you could, you could see the path. Have you seen the, um, like a, a true like satellite image of the path? No. From Arkansas through Kentucky, I forget how many miles it was on the ground, but it was literally like, it was straight as a laser. And it was, I forget how wide it was, but it was literally, is the, it, it looked like a, I'm a clearing guy. It, it was almost, it looked like a, um, like a power line right of way. That was a half mile wide. Uh, I mean, it, and it's whatever crazy was in that right away, straight it was. I figured it would be turning and all this stuff. But yeah, it, I mean, it was just straight as arrow. Um, did you get any work with with that? Nothing. FEMA has um, contractors that cover certain areas, and that that's already kind of like pre organized before anything happens, dude. It's so the, the whole COVID thing, is, it just got me like Scooby-Doo. Like you pull the mask off the bad guy. You're like, ah, that's who it is. Like, I feel like it kind of did that with like the government and the media and everything. 
So now I'm just kind of looking around like, that's kind of funny how that works. Yeah. Huh. Like I used to be just like, well, that's how it works. Like th- that must be the best way. Yeah. But they now were, they were pulling in grinders from I think Louisiana. Uh, it, so so the, the disaster thing was fascinating because a disaster happens. Everybody goes to help until FEMA comes in a few days later or whatever it is and just says, nope, everybody stop. Yep. Shut it down. If you're, if you're here, you have equipment, you can help. No, no, no. You're on the list. So stop. And then everything stops. And then it starts to pick up from there per whoever's on the list. And it's like, how do you get on the list? How does that work? How does this make sense? Like, there's all these people willing to help, but that's, I learned that's not how it works. You can get on the list. It's just a long process and they're probably not going to call you unless if you have um, prior experience, which is hard to get experience when. And I I know I've learned that there's this whole industry that chases these disasters. There's these multi-billion dollar organizations that just specialize in disaster response. That's all they do, which I think it's great. Like they need to clean. You need to clean something up after a disaster. I think that's fantastic. But I also just wonder, I'm like, how, how inefficient is this? Like how much, what are the margins on that work? Like, like, who's taking advantage of who here? How are the insurance companies taking advantage? How these contracts, like, well, I've also, something is, feels weird about it. There's some contractors that have gone bankrupt over it as well. So, I mean, you better, you better know who you're working with um and i so i might be misspeaking here but i mean i misspeak every well every podcast yeah well i just know it's recorded so it never it never changes so but anyways um there was there was a company somewhere i won't say their name but um they basically misbid uh, a storm cleanup job and, I mean, you have no idea how much material you're hauling off, you know. And it wasn't a cost plus scenario. Mm. And they just figured the quantities and it, the way just I understood. Yeah. 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 And if that, if like, if that's the project, like, you don't have resources to absorb something like that. Yeah. Rough, dude. Yeah. Rough. But then, and I'm and, and going back to what I was saying earlier. That's been a situation I've been in. Basically, I think most contractors have. It's just yeah, but then, you have to know how to make it through it. And hopefully, you can. So I've learned though. I was just reading about this last night. If you're a big contractor, you can weasel your way around through change orders and just through lawsuits. You can just sue, and if you have the lawyers, you have the money, you have the time. We're just gonna go to court. Yeah. <laughs> like there was this um the 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 one project and and this project has driven me nuts from the beginning cuz I've I've the from the moment I heard about it my bullshit detector was just like ooh something is off here. Something is fucking off. And it's the high speed rail in California. They spent over 100 billion dollars. Guess how many to build a high speed rail between two two areas that are are, are it's not to downtown San Francisco to downtown LA. It's out. Guess how many miles after a hundred billion dollars? Guess how many miles of track they've set? How much? Zero. No miles of track yet. 
And they're still missing 10% of the land needed to even build the damn thing. Wait, so you're saying... They've spent $100 billion... On the land. On the land, on the infrastructure, but they haven't actually put the track in yet. Yeah. Like it's, but it they is, bought the land. That's where all their... Well, and they've built a line, but okay. they haven't actually set the track. I see. But they're still missing segments. So you'll drive... It's, it's out in farm fields a lot of ways, so you'll, but you're driving up and you'll notice it's elevated above farm fields. Yep. So it's elevated track above farm fields and then it'll just drop off and we'll just be missing. And then it'll pick back up because it's like, why is that missing? And then you start to think, holy shit, I don't think they have the land. I don't, they don't wow. have that piece. <laughs> wow. And it's crazy. This company came in, this big international contractor came in and bid this one portion of the rail and came in way lower than everybody else and also said we have this design change we're proposing that's going to save you a ton of money no one asked any questions and they say well this seems like a good deal design change is great yeah you have it they end up going like twice they're they're over budget by like two times and this is to the tune of many many billions of dollars None of the design changes they proposed worked. They didn't implement any of it. And now it's all just in litigation. Wow. <laughs> it's like that kind of stuff happens a lot. Yeah. They or another statistic was he compared. Uh, I'm hoping to have him on the podcast. It was a brilliant article. I think they built a new subway system in Madrid. Mm-hmm. It was $70 million per mile of track. That's, that's a lot of money. Yeah, that like is per, a lot. Per of, mile? Yeah. Pretty expensive. The new system they just built in, sub, in, in New York was over, I believe, $3 billion per mile of track. The most expensive subterranean rail project in world history. It's crazy. Is it any faster? No. Is it any nicer? No. Mm. Three, over, I think it was $3.5 billion per mile of track. So it's like on this big infrastructure, on the big disaster, it's like there's wiggle room there. Maybe we should uh, or they should hand that over to Elon. He he has ways of making things cheap. Well, but so <laughs> Elon, so he was sitting in traffic and said, I'm going to go do this better. A tunnel, the best tunnel boring machine goes 14 times slower than a snail. And he says he made one, didn't he? Well, and the mission was to go fa- to beat. I think the mission was beat the snail, which I believe is a brilliant, brilliant mission. But the problem is, it's not that we don't have the technology to go build these tunnels. It's that in the United States, and you're probably familiar with this, but Tennessee's not that bad. It's all the environmental regulations that you have to adhere to. It's all of the permitting. It's all of these labor laws. It's all of this political machine that every project has to endure to get greenlit in the first place. That's what's making this really damn expensive. So he said, it's not that we don't have the ability to do this stuff. Like he pointed out, like the, I think one of his examples is the Oroville Dam project because it was emergency. It was an emergency job. So they waived. If they were going to go do that job, it would have taken a decade to go get it approved and all these environmental studies and this and that. It was a, awarded, I think, a few days after it happened. 
they had mobilized two weeks after it happened. Talking about the boring company? No, or, or this was uh, about... the new spillway in the Orville uh, Dam oh, 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 when okay. it failed. Okay, okay. Tracking. They wave everything. They go build it, knock it out of the park, just kick the shit out of this project. It was an amazing feat of engineering. That's because they had all like the handcuffs taken off and they, yeah. could, they could just build stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what I think the boring company, it, it, they haven't had any of these like the tunneling community is a little apprehensive about it because it's like you can't we're up against physics and geology like you can't really game that game that in any way it's it's not as simple as that yeah but i also think there is plenty of room to innovate at the same time yeah yeah he's definitely working on that traffic problem but so. i think well i think the the better way to do it Tackle traffic is through automation. Yeah. That's a different story. But um, but that's to say, like, you didn't know how to go do land clearing. You just had to figure it out. Right. Which causes a lot of problems, but also allows for innovation because you're not restricted by the way it's always done. Exactly. Um, and we've done a lot of things differently than what um, other people would do, but it taught us other things that other people might not know they yeah. might who knows but um just allows us to think outside the box you know <laughs> and just try new things um because um, i think with what we do um we continue on this pace tracking everything and automating things as much as we can i mean i think we're just going to be able to get faster and faster and faster like what's the so, what's something that you've done that's worked really well well, so the big thing was in Tennessee. And if you could, if you could peep. Do what? If, if you also bid land clearing work in Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, stop listening right now. Yeah. You can go. Um, They're not listening anymore. Well, the, the biggest thing was was the timber. So learning how to get rid of junk wood without paying for it mm -hmm. was basically the, the way to um, fix a lot of our problems. Um, cause you can just move faster. Yeah. You can move faster. Um, your haul offs less, um, other people have used different routes like that. They've, they've started their own, um, like green waste, um, recycling companies. So, and they sell the mulch and the, there's all sorts of different, um, ways that people go about it. But, um, for us, I, I was, I just wasn't real interested in that, I was like, surely there's a way to eliminate this stuff as much as possible. And, that, and that's just what our primary focus has been. Um, and we have grown as a company from like a revenue standpoint um, simply because over the past few years, we have kept the same amount of people um, roughly. Mm. But our efficiencies from the data we've been collecting have it's just blown up like mm. crazy um and so we're literally trying to turn it into a science um how do you collect the data is it like a spreadsheet so we we have a system where um we upload a project into this software 
and it's not HCSS or anything like that because a company like us, we don't need HCSS. I mean, we don't, well, we we don't have any materials and all sorts of stuff to keep uh, keep track of. Yeah, you so, essentially have labor and equipment. Labor, yeah, labor fuel. and equipment, the fuel yeah. and trucking. Yeah, I mean, that, trucking, that's yeah. literally it. Yeah. So um, we have a software we use that uh, um, Komatsu actually created. Um, and uh, we've actually, they kind of introduced it to us. Um, and we were able to um, kind of be their guinea pig in a way. Um, um, Logan more, knows more about it because he's been the one meeting with them. But basically, we we upload a project. Our guys show up to that project. They clock into that project. And then their task that they're clocked into associates it with a cost code um, to where we know exactly how much time they're spending on what based on the job scenarios. So it's constantly like right now, I have no idea what the guys are doing right now, but it's just building data and I can look it up on my iPhone. So you can see... Yeah, at the end I of the day. I can see a live look what at what happened. Because uh, everybody's clocked in right now. Yeah. The day. Uh, that's pretty cool. But, and then they switch throughout the day when they change tasks. Yeah. And you don't have that many tasks. I can, I can imagine it's pretty simple. Um, There's probably 10. Yeah, 10. Okay. Yeah, but it's not. Yeah. It's, it's 300. Not, like no, a civil no. contractor. Now you can continue to narrow it down. Yeah. Um, I should say, so. There's probably 10 in the grubbing and grinding process. There's there's um, 10 subcategories of of major tasks, yeah. if that yeah. makes sense. So logging, there's different ones. Trucking, there's different ones. You know. That's pretty cool. And then in, in, under demolition, there's different ones. That's, so. that's the sweet spot, too, is... is increasing your revenue per person yep and ideally your profitability goes with that yep that's that's big time what do you do with all the the wood do you sell it where does it go yeah it goes to mills and then so there are mills around here how far do you have to go for a mill um anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour and a half really yeah wow and so they'll, they'll actually buy it or yes. they'll just take it yes but it most of the time sometimes We'll make something off of it. Lots of times they'll just cover the trucking. Yeah. But it's cheaper to do it that way than running it through your chipper or your grinder or whatever. Mm. So um, we just do the bare minimum of that, and it's allowed our production to get up much higher. What do the mills produce around here? Is it chips? Um, Who knows? So that's a TJ question. Yeah. Uh, he's my arborist. Um, uh he, uh, I'm not really sure what they do with. I know one place he takes all of our um, cedar to, and I'm guessing they're making decorative furniture out of it or something. Oh wow! I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. So wow. you need to get some furniture. Yeah, definitely from, from your your operation. Definitely or something. Yeah, least. yeah. We went to a plant in North Carolina that takes uh, pine and makes it into pellets for power generation in Europe. But they basically. What was that company called? 
I would need to look it up. I don't remember. I talked to a company a while back. They're big time. They're a big company. Yeah, I can't remember who it was, but they made uh, like, I think animal bedding. It's kind of what it looked like. It yeah. looked like something you'd you'd put in a little guinea pig. Yeah, <laughs> like enclosure for them to sleep yeah. on or something like that, or I don't know, it, it, like in a barn. Yeah, for goats. Um, but they they feed it into power plants to burn it before power. Yeah. Um, but they put it on. They they put it. They it's in the middle of North Carolina. They put it on trucks. Mm. Yeah, they put it on trucks. So they load trucks, drive it all the way to the coast, put it on ships, take the ships across the Atlantic to Europe, and then feed it into their power plants over there. Mm. We need some of those uh, boiler plants here in uh, central Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's out there listening, please well, they, do that. They use We got too much mulch. They use a lot of wood out there and they they incinerate most of the trash. Yeah. If not all the trash is incinerated oh. in most of Europe. Say like Georgia, North Carolina, I think some in South Carolina, that they, they they take all the mulch and chips to these boiler plants. I, I've seen, I've been to a few actually. We went to one in, it was North Carolina as well. They, uh, this company recycles railroad ties. Yep. So the railroads, they're changing ties out every few years. They're just nonstop changing ties out. And they basically, the, the rail gangs will just throw them off to the side of the rail. And then they come along with a truck that's high rail. So just zooms along the rail with a little grapple on the back. Then picks up the rails or picks up the the ties, throws it in the truck or throws it in these little rail cars. And then they take it all the way through the rail system to their yard in North Carolina. And then they sort them. So some of them are turned into landscaping ties mm. uh, for, you know, you've, you see railroad tie retaining wall. So that's where they come from. They yeah. probably came from this company, North Carolina. So they'll they'll sort each one. And like, ah, oh, that's a good one, or that's a shit one. And then the shit ones go to the local power plant, mm-hmm. and they have these monster chippers, shredders, at the plant, and they just feed ties into them all day long. It just reeks of creosote, and all of it goes right into the power plant. So, Lynn, um, my grinder mechanic, used to work on one of those at a paper mill. Mm. One of those giant chippers i guess it's a chipper yeah so yeah they're they're huge yeah and they they just they're stationary i mean it has a cab on it like the guy is up there on the feeder on the little crane like in a cab so it's big enough to actually have its own machine on the grinder feeding it in and the feeder is huge it's just awesome it's so cool i need to i need to show you some pictures yeah yeah, I, I'd I, like to look at. I'm describing it like I know what it looks like, but this was years ago now. Um, so if you the the chips, you either have to. How often do you, are you able to keep them on site versus haul them off? It's all dependent on what that contractor's wanting done. Um, uh, lots of times they can hide it on site, mm-hmm. but they might put in a pond or they might um. Mix it in topsoil. Yeah. Um, but sometimes they just don't have enough room and we end up having to haul it off. So um, we take it to mulch yards. Um, sometimes if the mulch yards don't have enough room, um, we have places around Nashville we just haul it to um, like 
random farms and different things. So. Oh, so people just take it? Yeah. yeah. Does it ever go to the landfill for cover or no? Uh, no, and we're not willing to pay to pay the uh, tonnage rates out there. Well, so. I, I I don't even know. If, I don't even know if this is a thing. But if they use it for daily cover, yeah, and they they might you don't have to pay for it. So I'm not sure. So I'm sure the local like green waste companies they they might sell to the landfills but i completely made that up so i don't know if that's true or not but yeah that's what i'm assuming happens because i know it, it depends state to state like some states are just like like we don't give a shit you just yeah. throw whatever you want away like it's yeah. like we don't you know it needs to be clean but like don't worry about it yeah and then other states are there is rules on rules on rules on rules so a place like california for example where landfills are just are kind of artificially really expensive, like way more expensive than right next door in Arizona. They, uh, which I don't know if it is a good or bad thing. I don't know, but it is what it is. And so the demolition contractors, they like a firma in San Francisco, they'll feed all of the wood debris and everything coming off of the, uh, the buildings they'll tear down. They put it in up top. It's like a top feed. And then it'll spit the re metal out. It'll spit concrete out. It'll spit shredded wood and insulation out. And that shredded wood and insulation, it reduces the volume. So you're trucking a lot less than if you were just loading demolition, like debris. Yeah. And then the landfill will take it as daily cover. So they don't have to pay wow. to get rid of it. And then the concrete's recycled, the metal's recycled. So that's a mobile machine they bring on site? What's it called? I have no idea, but it's really cool. They made it? <laughs> no. Or... They buy, They might have made it because they fabricate stuff themselves, but no, I feel like you can buy them now. I can't, I can't imagine they're cheap, but that's what they do with, yeah, um, it sorts the demolition debris. Hmm. So, and I've heard other demolition contractors doing that too now. They're, they're shredding all of the wood and everything coming off demolition projects and the landfill will take it as cover. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. I, don't, I have no idea if that's a thing in Tennessee. The state of demolition in Tennessee is, it worries me a little bit sometimes when I drive by, uh, especially the small demolition contractors. I've seen some. I'll drive by a house getting torn up and it looks like a fucking tornado. Just, just, there's just shit everywhere and the dumpster's overflowing and the rental machine is just beat to hell. And I'm, I'm just like, and they just leave it like that. It'll be like 6 p.m. They're not even working. It's just a shit show. Yeah. I'm like, so no one, like that, that's cool here? And I'm like, apparently, I'll drive by a week and a half later. It looks just as fucked up. I'm like, what are these guys even doing? I don't even, what's even happening here? How can you take multiple weeks for a residential demolition and still be in business? Like, yeah. How, how does that even happen? Yeah, house. <laughs> I mean, it might. Yeah, I mean, have it down in a few hours, you know, typically. It shouldn't take that long. I mean, yeah. most houses here are not that big. Yeah. And there will be a lot of demolition coming up in this town, I'm sure, because yeah. I've driven by multiple places that I know were just built like a year ago that are being worked on. Really? Like the siding will be off or something like that. And they're, 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 yeah. they're redoing it <laughs> because you see how they built the stuff and you're like, yeah. 
No, that is not built to last. Like, yeah. That is no that is no pyramid. Yeah. I, I, like, yeah. I, I know for sure that that is well, all total been garbage. To keep up with how many people are moving here. Like it's insane. Yeah. Well, I get the demand, but also some of it's like, that's criminal. And yeah. I know what they're charging for that. It is yeah. not even remotely worth yeah. whatever they're charging for. Like I would never buy that, how that was built. If I had any intent of staying there for more than two years. What do you think the draw is to Nashville for younger people? Is it just a central location or? I have or? tried to figure that out. I tell people, everyone, that's one of the, like, I'll get three questions. That's one of the questions everywhere I go, no matter where I'm at in the world. Yeah. And I'll say, I live in Nashville, Tennessee. And they're like, wow, Nashville, huh? That's, that's really cool. That's a, that's yeah. a great spot. Or, oh, I've always wanted to go to Nashville. I'm like, what about, what, what about it? I think. There's an allure to the South, mm-hmm. especially if you're for, for, from somewhere like California or like Northeast mm-hmm. where everybody's an asshole. You come to the South, you're like, oh, I kind of li- I I like it. Like that old lady just called me sweetie. I, yeah. I could get used or to you this, talk man. to a hick like me. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, but it's just like it's you just the, the Southern hospitality. It has a feel to it. You're like, oh, this is fun. And then you have the. I think the music industry has added this allure to Nashville, Tennessee that draws people in. And I think there's like this fantasy of everybody becoming a country star or like living the country lifestyle, whatever it is. And people think like, I feel like they almost act like you ride around the horse here. You're like, I don't, I don't think you've been around here a while. It, yeah. It's like, it's not like that's that. Texas. This yeah, this is, this is the least country country place I've ever been. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know why it's country capital because I, I grew up going to like Montana, Wyoming, Texas. It's like, no, nothing that's, is, that's country. Uh, yeah, nothing is country about Broadway. <laughs> no, so. no, no, nothing about it whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But you see like the guys walking through the airport in their new cowboy hats or it's <laughs> just like, <laughs> you look like a jackass. <laughs> I know you've been watching Yellowstone. I know you're excited about this, but like. It just doesn't look good. Like, yeah, you didn't earn it, man. You're, yeah. you're, you don't you need to earn a hat like that. Exactly. I feel like you got, you got to fit the profile and I can tell you don't. <laughs> well, uh, I think I always compare everything to Atlanta because it's the biggest city that's, I guess, closest to here. But yeah, we're only from what I know, we're only a third of the size of Atlanta. Yeah. And there's well, a lot of there's a lot of more growth to be here I, I think there's a lot there's a lot more growth but we're also restricted from a, a geographical standpoint and yeah. a, a, a geology geological standpoint yeah. because we have all of the rock and we have these rolling hills that, that kind of separates everything mm-hmm. so tennessee uh nashville it's not this big sprawling metropolis really it's mm-hmm. kind of like all of these you have franklin franklin and lebanon you have all these you know little pockets that are all connected with one another but all have their own little identity at the same time. I feel like it's just going to be more of that, like more development in these pockets rather than this big sprawling metropolis like yeah. a Charlotte or a Atlanta or Phoenix. Like, because Phoenix is just flat. So you can just, in every direction, you just develop. Yeah. There's no land. I'll tell you, though, there are a lot of high rises around here being built. It's gotten and, a lot more dense. Yeah. It's, yeah. Pr- it's pretty, pretty crazy, just even in the past year well there but the, the development right next door yeah. i think it's like 2500 and units. then the one right back here oh yeah and then yeah they've been hammering this whole podcast was, i was watching them work the other day or yesterday 
it's like, I need a drink. It's, this is, this is so stressful. So because str- it, it's not like I'm watching one thing that is clearly like clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. It's like, are they really, they're really doing that. And then I look 10 degrees. They're re- Holy shit. I look 10 degree. Okay. These guys can't be that. And I'm like, Oh my God, look at those guys. Like everywhere I looked yesterday, it was just total, total pandemonium. (laughs) Again, I'm just like, ah, well, this is the state of the market, you know, supply and demand. (laughs) There's more demand than there's supply. So, and there's, I think it was ABC said there's still a shortage of 500,000 construction workers this year. It's crazy. And that like the entire, the retirements have not accelerated yet. It's crazy. And demand's cooled for commercial and residential across the board. There's still that shortage. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I hope people, younger people can be encouraged to, you know, work in this industry. Because, I, I mean, it's not, it's not going to go anywhere. You have to build things. I mean, it's not Un- going anywhere. Unless we give it all the only way out that I see is if we hand it all off to the Chinese, hmm. which scares the shit out of me. But that's what Africa's done. That's what the, almost the entire Asian continent has done. Like Australia, it's yeah. starting to go in that direction in a little ways, you know, here or there. They'll have it if, uh, if they can keep their population up. They got some problems, but, but we have our problems too. Yep. Like I just started studying the profile of our population and the demographics and it's like, on the way down whoa dude yeah we've got a lot of old people yep and not many young people coming at the bottom it's like so how are we gonna get out of this is it hey everybody can you have more kids is it more immigration i I don't know i got one kid right now he was born three and a half months ago and i'm not one to want to like a bus full of kids like I'm, i'm i was an only child so like I'm not really about that life, but, you know, people need to reproduce, in my opinion. Yeah, but then but then also some people reproduce. You're like, should you really have children? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of those people, too. It's like, or I could see a barely handle a dog, yeah. and I'm like, oh, Jesus, like, they're going to have a kid in a year from now. <laughs> they, don't, they don't even know what to do with that little labradoodle. <laughs> it's like, oh, here, here we are. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then that's, that's also the, the point that I kind of came to is you have the past generation complaining about this generation, but it's like, but wait a damn minute. That kid. You're the, like, these are your kids. Yeah. So, <laughs> what, 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 huh? Like, There's a chance, though, that that kid might learn what not to do, though. Um, that, that's valuable. Right. Potential. That's valuable because I've learned about developmental psychology. It's you put your parents on a pedestal when you're developing as a child and think they're essentially perfect because you are worthless. Yep. So you you have to view them as perfect because you're so insignificant and you can't fend for yourself. Then you don't want to, to like psychologically admit that, like, mm, I might be in trouble here. It just that's not how the human brain works. But then once you gain your independence and you become an adult, you start to recognize that I am a flawed human being and holy shit, my parents don't know what they're doing either. And that's when you can start, if you're, if you're deliberate about it, you can start to figure out, okay, how was I raised? 
how am I wired? And then what do I want to keep? Like, I like that. And then it's like, hmm, that is, let's, let's put that off to the side. I'm like, great. We've identified it. Let's just put it over here. We don't need to worry about that one again. But then, but if you don't do that, whatever your parents' problems were, insecurities, a lot of times it just gets passed right onto you. And then you pass it on your kid and it just keeps going down the line. Yep. Uh, real quick, you're going to be at Con Expo, right? Yeah, I'll be there the whole week. You got a Terrible. You're like, um, you like hosting some, something out there with the Gold Rush guys? I was, I was about to post about that. Yeah, we, I actually kicked the show off. Yeah. That's awesome. There, I have a whole story about that, that I have a lot of bitterness. We, we had this, we had this idea uh-huh. that I thought was a pretty good idea. And it got to the point where it was just like, it, there was a, a misunderstanding somewhere, a breakdown of communication, and it didn't happen. And then I found out it was happening without us. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. but I have to put my ego aside. I'm like, no, no, I'll make this successful. It doesn't matter. Not about me. I'm a little bitter. My ego's a little hurt, but I'm not bitter at all. So there's this this brilliant idea that Con Expos had. Mm-hmm. It's a really good idea. I like when I heard about this, I was like, guys, you you get it. This is this is one hell of a one hell of an idea. They're creating something called the Community Zone, and it is a place at the show for everybody to come together and talk. And shoot the poop. What do you do? What do you do? Oh, you bought this machine? How is it? Oh, it's great. It's a pile of shit. Whatever it is. You just, that's the value of Con Expo. That's, I believe that everybody says, this is like the most common talking point I hear from everybody. Oh, anybody can buy equipment. It's an equipment show. It's like, yeah, anybody can buy equipment. I bought a skid steer. Like, am I qualified to buy a skid steer? No, I rolled the damn thing over. Of course I'm not qualified. Um, anybody can buy equipment. It's the people that make the industry. So you need the tools, of course. You can't do anything without your, your grinder or your right. excavators or whatever. That's important, right. but that's not what makes the industry the industry. That's not what makes the industry special at the end of the day. It's the people. It's the people. And, and that's what drew me in. It's, it's, yeah, the equipment got me excited. It still gets me excited, but you get to know the people in this world and you're just like, I don't want to go anywhere else. These are, then you go see how the rest of society is and you're just like, I don't like this. Take me back to the logging operation in South Carolina. Like, yep. That's a lot more pure than hanging out at this fancy restaurant in the Gulch in Nashville, Tennessee. Yep. Um, so it's an area for the people of the show, wherever you're at, to get together. There's going to be performances, talks, whatever it is. There'll be food, beer. I don't know what they have planned specifically. But if if I did it, if it were my idea, that's what it would have been. There okay, would have been a place you. to come together and gather as an industry. So yep. Dave and I will be speaking Tuesday, right when the show starts from one to two. We're going to be talking for a little bit. We're going to be answering questions and then we're just going to be hanging out. Do you get a pass for that or does anyone just show up? Uh, you can, anybody can just show up. So, okay, so cool. that's what's cool about it because you have the education sessions, which you have to spend money on. Yeah. And it's like somebody like you, uh, you know, is it, could it be worthwhile? Maybe, but for the everyday person coming to the show that just wants to see the show, 
they don't want to spend the extra money. Yeah. But this is that's that's the cool thing about that. You don't need to sign up. You don't need to go find it somewhere. It should be front and center. I'm assuming, again, if I were to do this, I would have put it next to the festival grounds, the festival lot. I think that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. And it'll be a really, really good time. Cool. So Tuesday, one to two. And it's cool for me because I spent high school watching Dave on television. Yep. In college. Yep. And I, in college, I, I might have, and I've, I've said this to the Con Expo organizers, I might have snuck in. I didn't really mean to, but I just walked into the show because I was wearing a cat polo and no one asked me a question before the show started uh-huh. when I was in college. I was by myself and that was my first Con Expo. Wow. So I've gone from watching him on television, kind of just weaseling my way into the show to now this. It's like It's crazy. That's oh, pretty cool. Man, you, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Humbling experience right there. You want to know what's even cooler? We are putting together a, and I have not asked if I can talk about this, but here I am talking about it. A Dirt World, first ever Dirt World conference. Really? In October. And we're going to have Jocko and Echelon Front. Oh boy. Do a mini muster on day one. And then a lot of amazing speakers and a whole amazing lineup in day two. And it's going to be... Not, I feel like a lot of conferences now, they're focused on these details here or there, you know, if you're, if you're equipment people, if you're safety people, if whatever it is, it's kind of focused on that arena. This is just going to be focused on improving the leaders of the industry, really working on this workforce challenge we're facing. Awesome. So you'll have to get signed up for that. Yeah, definitely. It's Tell me be, when and where. time. Yeah, we're. I think it'll be out like early sign up will be out pretty soon. Yeah. Well, and then I'll uh, I'll see you hopefully out in Las Vegas. You're probably going to be uh, busy, but I'll see you there too. No, I I didn't. I didn't. I've turned a lot of stuff down so that I can just hang out. Yeah. And spend time with people. I forget which which um, room it's in, but I'm I'm probably going to be in the forestry. Uh, area there there's two rooms i think mm-hmm. it's split between forestry so i'll be in that area some, hanging like, out tiger cat weiler there's there's some badass stuff out there cool yeah cool and that's i i just talked to eric about this yesterday for me it's like it's cool but it's not all the equipment's not that, that exciting because i i get to see it yeah, all you get all to see it all the time yeah. but i also recognize that somebody like you you know you're in this region Yep. You don't go see Pacific Northwest logging. Exactly. Which is a totally different world. It's like might learn something new. Might learn something from those guys. Dude, those those guys, they they throw down up there. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I with the perspective I have, it's like, well, that's not where everybody's coming from. Everybody's coming from their own little world and they get to see what's out there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, man. We'll just get back to it. Appreciate it. Had fun. Um thanks for having me on. Are you guys on social media? Yes, we you're, are. You're on there. I don't think I see you all that much, though. I'm, so I'm on LinkedIn more than anything. Um, our business has an um, Instagram page. You can look it up. It's uh, Warren Land Solutions. Okay. So you can see some of our equipment on there. Um, but LinkedIn's the biggest thing that I personally post on. That's the most valuable place. Yeah, as a business owner. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well, thanks for dropping by. Yeah, man. Thanks. Appreciate it.